You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Welcome to Kingsway. Super glad you're here. We're in a series going through the book of Luke. We're going to be in it for most of the year. We'll stop here and there, do Easter. We'll stop, do a series on Songs of Solomon. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait, but we're just digging into some really important stuff going on in the life and ministry of Jesus, okay? So before we jump into where we are today in Luke 4, if you have a Bible, you want to open it. Before we jump into that, I want to ask you a question. Do you ever find it hard to do what you know you ought to do? Anybody in here, or is it just me? So if you don't know this illustration, uh, this is an old thing. So some psychologists got together and they just ran a little test. Psychologists do this kind of thing all the time. And here was the test. They took groups of people, split them into three groups, put them in a room. They took freshly baked chocolate chip cookies and put them on the table. Then they took radishes and also put them on the table. Now to those three different groups, to one group, they said, oh, none of these are for you. They're for a different experiment that we're running today. If you guys wouldn't mind just leaving them alone. Then they brought in the next group, and they told the next group, you can eat, if you really want to, only the radishes, if you, if you really would want that, but the, the chocolate chip cookies are for something else we're doing after this today. Then the next group, they said, you can have whatever you want, as much as you want, don't worry about it, we'll make more. What this group didn't know is they thought when they were coming in, they thought they were in there to be tested for something else. But when they took them all three groups out of that room, they took them into another room where they were given a series of geometric shapes that they had to trace. And the, the, the shapes were impossible to trace with the rules that they were given. Nevertheless, what they found was the group that ate only the radishes and couldn't have the chocolate chip cookies lasted a little less than half as long as the group that was allowed to eat the chocolate chip cookies. And what they determined coming out of this was our self-control has a limit. And so you only have so many no's in you in a day or in a week. And so therefore, this is where the idea for Noom or Weight Watchers or any of those, this is where they come up with the idea of you need to have a cheat meal because you only have so many no's in your brain. And if you never tell your brain yes, what happens is you'll end up quitting. And so what happens is the people would go in the other room and they would quit early when they had to say no sooner. Are you with me? Now, the reason that's a setup is all of us have things that we find hard to do, right? Like some of us, we don't have a cheat meal. Every meal is a cheat meal, right? Because God made food and food is good. <laughs> but what if we're talking about bigger things like fulfilling our marital vows or doing good, honest business? High schoolers, not cheating on a test. Not that anybody has ever been tempted to cheat before. What if we're talking about bigger issues of integrity or character? <laughs> Taxes are coming up, right? So what if we're talking about how do we actually face temptation and overcome it? Because that's what we're gonna see in Luke chapter four today. So hopefully if you had a Bible and you wanted to go there, you'll be with us now. I'm gonna be reading out the NIV, the Bible we provide is the NLT. Someday when the money's there, we'll make those two things align. But for now, I'm in the NIV and that's what's on the screen here, ready? Luke chapter four, verse one says this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Well, duh. Okay, a couple things. Number one, I just read an article about a gentleman who died in another part of the world because he tried to do what he called the Jesus fast. He literally died. But he chose not to eat or drink for 40 days. Now, we have every reason to believe Jesus drank something, but he just didn't eat. 
But what it does mean is, is a couple things. This, these two verses are loaded for the rest of where we're going to go today. What it does mean is that by the end of this time, because he ate nothing, and at the end of them, now we don't know if the end is the 40th day or the 38th day or that last week, whatever it is, towards the end of them, he's hungry. Well, duh. I know some people who have uh, tried to take a 40-day fast up. Most of them, everybody I know, they usually break it into chunks. Like the first week, you don't eat anything. The second, the second week after that, you maybe do like fruit juices only. And then the third week, you, you, you add in like light foods, like applesauce or things like that. And, uh, and then you basically break it up into three or four chunks. That's how it looks. And Jesus literally ate nothing. Now, this week is built on what Brett Cadwell did last week. And if you missed Brett's message, you've got to go online and listen because it's way better than this one. I promise you, that is not me blowing smoke. Didn't Brett do a great job last week? Yeah, seriously, killed it, killed it. I'm so sorry you chose this week. Anyway, okay, so... Where Brett left off last week is in the baptism of Jesus. And what we see in the baptism of Jesus is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father speaks from heaven. The Spirit comes down like a dove, lands on Jesus, the Son, and we see the Trinity of God wrapped up in the baptism. But now Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, is led out from the Jordan into the wilderness. A year ago, I got to go see this, and I don't have a picture. Next week, I'll show you a picture. It might give you an idea, but if you use Google Earth, just download the app and just type in Jordan River, Jerusalem, Middle East. You can actually find the exact location where they think Jesus was baptized. I stood there. It's not super impressive, but you can see it. But if you just go out from there, you could see the difference. When God told the Israelites, I'm gonna take you to a land flowing with milk and honey, there is a huge difference. You go 20, 30 minutes outside of there and it is arid. This is not like, I used to hear the word wilderness because my context was forests. I always pictured Jesus was out in the forest by himself. No, 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 no. We are talking like white rolling hills. Not quite desert, but very arid, dry, nothingness. Jesus is out there somewhere. And the reason that he's out there and the reason that it's taking 40 days is directly connected to the story of the Exodus and the Israelites. Remember how long they wandered in the exact same wilderness? 40 years. And guess where they crossed over before they went into the promised land? The Jordan River. Jesus is almost living in reverse their story in order to fulfill and complete what they failed to do. If you don't remember the story of the Exodus, last year, this about, about the exact same time, we went through some of the story, the big pieces of it. And what you'll remember is God led them into the wilderness. And after three days, they were hungry. Sound familiar? They started to complain because they wanted food. They so desperately wanted to eat. But instead of crying out and trusting God, they started to whine and complain about their situation. Now, God met their need, but he started to try to teach them a lesson. Guys, I'm gonna come through for you. I'm not gonna fail you. But see, when you go through your hard seasons, you'll wonder if God really is good. And here's one takeaway, ready? Notice all of this follows his baptism. That's because a fresh commitment to the Lord can often be triggers for great temptation. We tend to think, I just went to the men's retreat. I made all these commitments. I'm good, right? Me and God, woo, I'm never gonna fail again. And then, boom. Or I just heard, you know, Brett preach this amazing sermon. And I know, I know I'm anchored in God's love. I just made this commitment and I know, and I know. And what you'll often find is great moves of God are often followed by great seasons of temptation or testing. 
And those two things aren't the same, but they often go hand in hand. And if I had more time, I'd do a whole message on this. I've talked about it many times throughout. So just go back and listen to all of Kingsway sermons from the last 13 years. You'll, you'll hear about it somewhere. But I will say this. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness so that he could face a test. But the Holy Spirit was not the devil, the Satan, or the tempter. See, what we tend to think of, by the way, you know, when I say the word devil, you know, we tend to picture Halloween. We got these pointy ears and a weird tail and a scepter and a red costume or something weird like that. Or we may picture like a literal dragon or serpent or snake because of the text that point to that. Almost guaranteed, though, Satan, the Hasatan, the devil, almost guaranteed he is an angel of light who has turned away from God. He is probably profoundly beautiful and powerful and amazing to look at. He's probably not at all like Hollywood has pictured for you when it shows the twisting and contorting of exorcisms and things like this or ghosts or zombies or anything like that because he has this way of drawing you into something appealing but then twisting it so that it doesn't actually do what he promised you that it would do. And that's about what's about to happen. The Holy Spirit has led Jesus out to face his hunger and trust in the Lord, but Satan is seizing on the moment to create the perfect temptation. So while I believe with all my heart, the Holy Spirit has led him into a test, a trial that is different than Satan who comes along and provides a temptation in the middle of it. The two are not the same. This is why James can later say in the book of James that God cannot tempt us because he himself is not tempted by evil. He can't tempt us by evil. Because God isn't. But do you see how those two things can look a lot the same? Where life or situations or God can allow a test or a trial to be brought into your life. However, your enemy wants to come in and do more than that. And here's how that looks. Luke chapter four, verse three. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Again, what's happening here? All the way back to the Exodus story. They're hungry. They're thirsty. And so they're crying out and they're grumbling. And God feeds them with manna from heaven. It's this miracle bread food thing that comes down from heaven to feed them on a regular basis. Now, you and I don't have the power to turn stones into bread. At least I've not, I've not tried that one yet. I mean, God's allowed me to do a number of crazy things, but I haven't tried that one yet. I don't think I have that power. Jesus clearly has that power. And so part of what the enemy is trying to attempt to do is, look, if you really are the son of God, remember, he just got affirmed in his baptism. And the father said, this is my dearly loved son in whom I am well pleased. If you really are him and you're hungry, we're 38 days in, we're 39 days in, whatever it is, right? So why don't you just go ahead and eat? And here's the real temptation. The temptation is to meet your own needs and not trust in God to meet and while you may not be able to relate with turning stones into bread, you can relate with that. And here's how I know. Anybody out there in sales, you don't have to raise your hand. Anytime you're about to make a sale of some sort, have you ever been tempted to twist the truth just a little to make the sale go through and justified it in your mind? You know what I'll do with this money? I'll do so much better things than if the next guy gets it anyway. You ever see money somewhere on the ground or you ever see, I don't know, whatever it is, somebody gives you too much money back and you're tempted to keep it for yourself and you think logically, you know what? I've been cheated and done wrong so many times in life. You ever married and your spouse is not meeting your needs or desires 
And so you're tempted to take matters into your own hands and either be mean or aggressive or perhaps be unfaithful. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And the danger sometimes of not going on is I might not give the perfect analogy for you. And so therefore, you might write it off as this doesn't apply to me. But if you've ever been tempted not to follow God, but to meet your own needs, believing that God will not come through, he will not take care of you, he will not provide if you just hold on, then you can relate with what Jesus is going through right now. And that's why in Luke 4, 4, Jesus responds, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And what's fascinating is this is, as you may notice here, this is a quote. He's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus is a student of the Bible. There's a famous pastor who recently wrote a book, and in his book, he suggested that we unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament, that the Old Testament is burdening and holding us back, and that Jesus intended for us to let the old things go. I have an extremely difficult time with that because when I read my New Testament, almost everything happening in the New Testament is being fulfilled by or told beforehand from the Old Testament. Jesus, in his hour of temptation, didn't, he had the authority. He could have quoted himself. He could have just said, I've said. (laughs) No, he said, it's been said. It is written. He knows the Old Testament because he reads it. He studies it. He believes that it's life and it's God's word for us. Let's take a look at part of that. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse two says this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness. These 40 years. See how the connection to humble and test you in order to know that what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Let's just stop before we go to the next part. This, again, this is Old Testament. So those, those of you who don't know, ah, this probably would have been, I'm trying to remember my timelines now, uh, 1,500 years, 1,000 years before Jesus was when this was written. A long time before Jesus, this was written. And Jesus is reading what God said to the Israelites thousands of years before, and he's going, that's still relevant to me today. And I'm out here for 40 days facing a trial and a temptation, a test God led them to to see if they were serious about their commitment. Then he goes on. This says in Deuteronomy, he, this is God, humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. So God created a test. He let you have hunger, then he met your need. He didn't just leave you hungry. He planned to lead you to that, to see when it was hard, would you turn away from me? Which neither you nor your ancestors had known, that's the manna, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Do you get that? That's the part that Jesus quoted. Man does not live on bread alone. In other words, when you're really hungry is when you're gonna be one of the most tempted. Did you know that? I often teach, when I'm talking about this stuff, uh, the, the word, the letters HALT, H-A-L-T. There's four times you will be most tempted when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, and when you're tired. Jesus is three of these. It's hard to do that. Jesus is three of these. He's hungry, he's lonely, and he's tired. And when he's hungry, his flesh is crying out, and Satan shows up and he goes, oh, this is perfect, I got him. He goes, why don't you just turn that stone into bread? And Jesus says, nope. Why would you not do that? You have the power to do this. God doesn't love you. He's not thinking about you. He doesn't care about you. You better meet your own need. 
And Jesus says, no, I won't because I'm not supposed to live on bread alone. Food is good. God made food. God will feed me when God's ready to feed me. In the meantime, I also live on the presence of God, the spirit of God, the word of God, the life of God. I draw in from it. It is taking care of me. This is such a big deal to Jesus that when he sees the woman at the well, if you remember this, he sends the disciples off to get food and um, they come back and he's meeting this woman who's in desperate situation. She's been with five men who all different, different men, and she's with a guy who's not her husband right now. Just She's been all over the place. We'll put it that way. And Jesus is meeting with her. Disciples come back, and they're like, Jesus, we got some food for you. And he's like, I'm good. I've got some food. And they're like, did Jesus have some bread up his like, cloak? Like, what's happening here? And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. My food is to do the will of my Father. I have a food that has nothing to do with food, and it sustains me until Jesus, or sorry, until the Father is ready to feed me. So that's the mentality here. I don't need to live just on food. That by the presence of God, through the Holy Spirit in me, I can have everything I need to make it until God chooses to feed me. How many of you get hangry and you were told, grab a Snickers, right? <laughs> Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I wanna push past my flesh because my flesh longs for things that God doesn't long for. But that's not the end of his testing. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. First of all, the temptation here is to trade God's provision for self-pleasure. God's provision for self-pleasure. You may ask, well, how do we get that out of there? A few things. Number one, we're not even sure that Satan has the power that he's saying that he has. There are some verses that seem to hint at that. For instance, we're told that, that, that Satan is the little g God of this world. There's only one God. There's only one father. But he is the ruler or the prince of the power of the air, we're told. Meaning this is his home. This is his ground. You should read from that. Every government in the world, probably most businesses in the world that aren't redeemed by Jesus Christ are living under the authority, not of the heavenly father. They're living under the power and the influence of Satan himself, of the devil himself. Now that brings up a whole lot of questions. We don't have time for it today, but I don't care which playground you're in on the right or the left. There are plenty of things that neither both sides have that do not line up with Jesus Christ himself, which means we should not look at this world as our home. This is a place we're just stopping through as we're waiting for our final destination, which means when we're, yeah, thank you for the one person who agrees with me. All right, just kidding. <laughs> okay, it's probably my wife. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so the, the, <laughs> try to get back on track here, right? It's so easy to distract me. So anyway, so what this means is we have to be very careful what we're aligning our hearts and our lives to. And when you're watching your TV, when you're playing on your phone, when you're voting or whatever it is you're doing, when you're doing business, and we are in the devil's playground. But ultimate authority, ultimate authority is God's and God's alone. So first of all, is he correct in what he's saying? I, I don't know that I know enough about whatever God has said to say, but I do know this with absolute confidence. I know this. God has told Satan that he kind of was the gatekeeper over Hades. Hades, the abode of the dead. So when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, what he did was he plundered the enemy's house. He took away death and the sting of death. So he took away the power of sin and he took away the consequence of sin. 
Does that make sense? And so when he did that, even if Satan, at the end of the story, even if he has power and authority here, it's been plundered by his church, by the gospel itself. And so we have the power through the name of Jesus to go and take from the enemy's house, which is not things, it's people. And Satan is trying to offer Jesus a shortcut. That's what he's gonna get anyway. At the end of it all, he's gonna be the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler of heaven and earth. Everything will be united into one under him. It's all going to be his. Yes. But Satan's offering him a shortcut. That's why the temptation here is to trade God's provision for selfish pleasure. I can give you the kings of the world now and you don't have to die. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to go through any of that. I'll give it to you now. You can have it. Jesus' response. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other words, even if you could give me all of that, I already know it is my job not to do what pleases me, but to do what pleases him. Do you see how each of these temptations can relate with us? Satan maybe has never taken you up to the top of the temple and had you look down at the entire world and said, I'll give you the whole world. You can have it if you'll just worship me. But come on, haven't you had your own little version of that? If you just lie, if you just cheat, if you just steal, if you're just dishonest, if you aren't faithful, if you don't follow your vows, if you don't keep your commitments, you can have this, you can have that, you can do what you want. You'll be king for a moment, king for a day, king for a year. You might not literally be king, you might just get a promotion. You might just get a little bit of something on the side and think that you got away with it. But ultimately, are you ready as somebody who desires to love God to follow after him with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength? Jesus understood that the path that he was being offered was significantly easier, significantly easier. He didn't desire the easy path. He desired the faithful path. But that's not the end of his test. Verse nine. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. First of all, notice here, Satan is now quoting scripture to Jesus. You think your enemy doesn't know what it says? There's a reason why Paul says this book here is the word of God. It's a sword for us and our battle against the enemy. But the enemy knows it and he'll do everything he can to twist it. That's why we have to be in community and a relationship, talking with each other and testing with each other our thoughts and our ideas to make sure that, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Is, is Satan twisting my thoughts at all? Is he twisting scripture against me? Did he really say, isn't that what Satan said to Adam and Eve in the garden? Did God really say? He just wants to get in there twisted a little bit. Psalm 91 is fascinating. Highly recommend you read it later today. Do it. Please, not right now. Give me a few more minutes, all right? But in Psalm 91, which is what Satan is quoting here, it's a psalm that is a prophetic psalm about Jesus. It's one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament about the Messiah himself. And Satan is twisting the story around to tempt him. Literally, let's take a look. Psalm 91, verse nine to 10. Here's just some of it. It says this. If you say the Lord is my refuge, this is as if God is talking to Jesus in the past. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most higher dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels 
concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the what? Serpent. And if you don't know why that's so cool, it's because Satan, the devil, he has been called the serpent from Genesis all the way to Revelation. That's the beginning and the end of the book and constantly in between. The promise from God to Jesus. If you follow me, if you make the most high your dwelling place, do you hear the intimacy of that? Not just if you make him your king. No, 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 no. If you make him the place you rest all of you, you will overcome everything that comes at you, including the enemy. And Satan is taking that passage that's intended to give confidence and he's twisting it. Oh, come on. You know, you know that God said he will not allow you to die. He will not allow you to get hurt. He will not allow this. His angels will take care of you. Let's just find out. Now think about this way that could be playing out in Jesus' mind. You just got into the waters. You just heard the father say, this is my dearly loved son. You just heard all of these things. But it's been 38, 39 days. He hasn't fed you yet. Has he forgotten about? Does he really care? Is he paying attention? See, the temptation for Jesus here is to test God rather than trust God. So you can hear it maybe like this. If he really loved you, he would have fed you. You know, you're the son of God. Maybe, maybe you need to find out. Maybe you need to just jump and reaffirm his love for you. I mean, that sounds so innocent, right? I mean, come on. How many times, you wives and girlfriends, have you done that to your husband or your boyfriend, right? Like, maybe I just need to have him reaffirm his love for me. Maybe I just need to test him a little bit. You're just reflecting God for a minute, right? No, I'm just kidding. You're... <laughs> Nobody? Okay. You're like, Matt, you're on dangerous ground. No. Do you hear the way this could play out for Jesus? Jesus, if he really loves you, he said nothing is going to hurt you. Maybe you need to be reminded again that he actually loves you. And Jesus answered, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It's a quote from Deuteronomy 6.16. here's what I find really fascinating. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him. So let's just make it practical with our few minutes that are left here today. What do we do when we're facing a real trial, a real test, or perhaps a real temptation? This part right here, the devil finished all this tempting, this is a true statement for us. James Chapter four, James says this. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. For years, I made way too much out of the power that Satan has in our lives. I did. And I was young and I remember I was teaching this text to a bunch of uh, my students at my last church in Colorado. When the Holy Spirit revealed to me, Matt, do you see this like an Oreo? It's like a sandwich here. Like, you're putting all this emphasis on resisting the devil and and that kind of thing. You're missing the dwelling in the presence of the most high part. Submit yourself to God. What that means is, notice, Jesus began this whole testing trial temptation thing with the perspective that I am beginning with what God says is good is good and what God says is right is right. I'm starting there. 
So I've submitted myself, my body, my heart, my mind, my life, my outcomes, my success or my failure, it's all in his hands. So since I started there, then I have to resist the devil because Satan ain't gonna like that. He's gonna come and test that. He's gonna come and try and push back against that. But the way that I overcome all that is I come near to the Father. I dwell in the presence of the Almighty. I rest with him. I'm not fighting this battle on my own. I'm not trying to beat an enemy that's bigger and stronger, more powerful than me. I'm literally drawing myself, my presence, my strength from the one who loves me, is for me, who cares about me, who died for me and rose from the dead for me. Yeah. And he has to run. He can't stand to be there. How long will it take till he runs? I don't know. Jesus was hungry 40 days. I don't know. But this is a promise, a promise that if you hold on, the enemy has to flee. So I know this, no matter what our psychiatrists and psychologists and sociologists say today, your ability to overcome is greater than you think that it is, way greater than you think that it is, way greater. How do I know? Because if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, when he filled you with the Holy Spirit, he gave you everything you need for life and godliness. He gave you the power. The reason he's out in the desert facing this temptation is so that you don't have to. And so that when you have your hour of need, you're not drawing from your own strength, you're drawing from his strength because he put in you what he's already accomplished for you. And that's why, yeah, 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 you can clap for Jesus while I look this up real quick. All right, (laughs) thank you, thank you, all right. Man, I was backstage before the last service and God impressed on me this passage. I don't have my notes. So it's Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four, the writer of Hebrews is is like preaching a sermon and and he's just trying to make this point. He says this, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin. Do you catch that? What the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, he's reading that same text. He's going, he struggled in every way you struggled and he overcame. So you're not drawing from your own strength. You're drawing from his and he is our great high priest. The high priest is the one who would go on behalf of the nation of Israel and stand before God and mediate a covenant between the people and God. This is why 1 Timothy 2.5 says there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man. His name is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He stands in the gap between God and us with a hand outstretched and says, I got this. I will make sure that I lead them to you, Father. I will hand them over one day to you. And then God's gonna give them back as his glorious gift to Jesus, all of us, his bride, back to him to spend eternity as our, as our lover and our protector and our provider and it would meet all of our needs. And it's this beautiful picture. I gotta read Hebrews 4 before you clap because I know you wanna clap. All right, ready? Hang on, hang on, hang on. I know, I know. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So, because Jesus is already in the presence of the Father, he's already won the test, he ripped the curtain at two and he said, come on here, come and just sit with me. I have all the mercy you need. I have all the grace you need. And this is why Paul, in his moment of temptation, he kept saying, Father, take this away, take this away, take this away. Three times I asked him and he wouldn't take it away. And God's response was, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in your weakness. 
In other words, I've got everything you need right here, Paul. I've got you. That's why Paul can also say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm gonna ask the slide guy to jump about four slides. He says, there we go. 1 Corinthians 10, go to the next one. There you go. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. In other words, you're gonna have a season of testing. You're gonna go through it. It's gonna be hard, but God will never let it be worse than you can handle. So when you're ready to quit and you're like, I can't, I can't say no anymore. I just gotta eat me some cookies. God's going, you got more in you because I put it in there. I know it. Don't you quit. Don't you quit. Now, there is one more thing in Luke 4, if you'll jump back. I got Sly Guy all over the place. He'll, he'll do great. He'll follow me. Here we go. I want to show you verse 13. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him. But the rest of that says he left him for a more opportune time. In other words, he ain't done yet. I know we've only got the first half up there. Go to the next 413 so everybody else can see it. He left him for a more opportune time. I can think of at least two more moments. That's three fingers. I can think of at least two more moments. <laughs> I can think of two more moments where Jesus was tempted. It may be more than that. But one, there's this moment where Jesus is talking about the cross and Peter's trying to stop it. He's like, no way, Lord, no way. And Jesus looks right at his, one of his best friends and says, you get behind me, Satan. In other words, you aren't speaking on behalf of my father. You aren't supporting God's will for me. I will go to that cross. It was a test. And then another time is in the garden. And Jesus is on his knees and he's begging the father, please, if there's any other way, please, not this, please. But let your kingdom come and your will be done, not mine. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. And so when you're in your moment of testing, and it's gonna come, when you're in that moment, I just want you to draw in to the presence of God. And here's the thing. I'm a sly guy, we're gonna go to the quote by Dr. Michael Reeves in just a minute, all right? Okay, go ahead. All right. This, I'm, I'm, I'm studying to teach our staff on the Trinity. We're gonna spend the next three months looking at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest books I've ever read, if you just wanna know the kind of stuff I'm gonna be teaching, it's called Delighting in the Trinity by a guy named Dr. Michael Reeves. And I came across this quote this week by him, and I was like, this is so rich. I gotta share this with everybody. So here you go, ready? Here's the quote. Sometimes we find ourselves tiring of Jesus, imagining that we have seen all there is to see and used up all the pleasure there is to be had in him. We get spiritually bored. But Jesus has satisfied, I'm gonna wait, there you go. Jesus has satisfied the mind and heart of the infinite God for eternity. Now, where he's going with this, before I read those other quotes, where he's going with this? If the Trinity is something that scriptures teach, remember the baptism, we see Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That what this means is Jesus has been the son of the father for eternity and they have eternally existed. So whatever exactly that means, it's a little bit of a mystery, but we get a little glimpse of it. But what it means is when the, the scriptures tell us that God has delighted in Jesus for eternity, this is the infinite God. 
infinite. There's no end to everything about him. There's no end to his wisdom and knowledge and power and love and understanding and grace and mercy and justice and truth. There was no end. It's infinite. And Jesus has satisfied the infiniteness of God for eternity. I don't think we fully grasp the depth of the love that the God has, that God the Father has for his son. And that's what he's trying to say. We think that Jesus has, has all that he has to offer us. We've already tapped into it. There's nothing left to see here. He's like, are you kidding me? He has entertained the heart of the Father for eternity. He goes on, he says, our boredom is simple blindness. No, 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 go back, go back. Same quote, sorry. It's simple blindness. If the Father can be infinitely and eternally satisfied in him, then he must be, this is Jesus, overwhelmingly all sufficient for us in every situation for all eternity. Can we put any other alls in there? This is how good Jesus is. There's nothing else you will find that will even come close to satisfying the way that he can. Nothing. So whatever it is you're chasing, whatever it is you're running after, whatever has your fancy and attention right now, it isn't worth it, I promise. It isn't worth it. And that's why he goes on, he says, that's why the gospel's not lacking. Because Jesus is not lacking. So what do I do with all of this? I'm gonna take you to James again. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Mary is their mother, both their mother. They have different dads. Jesus' dad is God the Father. James' dad is Joseph. And if you could convince your half-brother that you are the son of God, that might be somebody you wanna to listen to, right? James, who was not a believer or a follower at first, but he was by the end. He writes this in James chapter one. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, you're gonna face a trial and that's okay. And when you do, what God's trying to do is grow in you perseverance. And when that is full blown, you will finally become mature. But you've got to face your trial head on and overcome. Then he says in verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, I don't know where this lands. There's so much more to say on this subject, but in one message, I think we've covered a lot of ground. But if we just say, have a great week, God bless. Don't forget about the extravaganza and you know, ladies, don't forget about your event coming up then we miss the opportunity for you to actually sit in God's presence because what I know is the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you some things, some trials, some tests, perhaps some temptations that you've been facing. And perhaps you've been giving in and letting the enemy win. And you're not resting in the power and the strength of the Lord Almighty. You're not dwelling in him. I wanna give you a moment. Chelsea's gonna sing a song. I just wanna give you a moment to draw into his presence and hear from him. Hear his affirmation and his love. Hear his mercy and his grace. Hear Jesus saying, I'm already standing before the Father pleading your case. Just come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So what I want you to do is just listen to your Father, and at any point now, you just wanna talk to him. Just talk to him. Lay it out before him. Bring it to him. Hear his voice of love over you. And if you need to make some sort of new commitment to the Lord, do that. Commit to the Lord all your ways and watch him bless your life. But just be ready because another trial is coming. Let me say a prayer and then we're just gonna take this in. 
If you want to sing, it's a song we did a few months ago. Feel free to sing, but otherwise just sit and take in the moment. Father, we love you. Help us to believe all the things that we've seen today in Jesus. Help us to believe that we actually have the strength to do everything because of what Jesus is doing in us. Help us to hate our sin as much as you do. Help us to believe that the enemy isn't out for good for us and that what you have for us is actually better. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.